Welcome to Great Stories in American History with Rebecca Price Janney. Today's story is about Abigail Adams. Born in Weymouth, Massachusetts in 1744, Abigail Smith came from a distinguished family that had been in America for five generations. Abigail was the second of Elizabeth Quincy and William Smith's four children. Her father was a Congregational minister. Abigail, a frail child, yearned to go beyond the basic subjects for colonial girls, math, reading, music, dancing, and needlework. While she liked those disciplines, Abigail was an insatiable reader who loved Milton and Shakespeare, Pope and Thompson. Although she had no formal education, she became fluent in French. She met John Adams in 1758, but they did not pursue a relationship until four years later. Initially, Adams had been dubious of the Reverend Smith, who, in his opinion, lived too high for a minister. On the other hand, Smith considered Adams as too low-born for his daughter. At any rate, John was nine years Abigail's senior, already a Harvard graduate and lawyer. In 1762, they were reintroduced with better results and married on October 25, 1764. The Adamses had five children in 10 years, and they were married for 54 years. Historian Paul F. Baller Jr. said theirs was one of America's great love stories. Abigail was a willing student and John a willing teacher of farming, law, politics, and religion. From 1774 to 1784, the Adamses were apart more than together because of John's political activities in Philadelphia and abroad, and Abigail wrote to her husband prodigiously. He kept pace with her considerable output until his politically delicate tenure in Europe. His letters were often lost at sea on their way to America. In addition, John held back a lot in his expressions of affection, as well as his political news, afraid that either he or Abigail's missives might be intercepted and used publicly to embarrass him or the U.S. Those were the darkest months for Abigail, who couldn't bear not to hear from him regularly and uncensored. In 1781, he wrote to her from Holland, What a fine affair it would be if we could flit across the Atlantic as they say angels do from planet to planet. I would dart to Penn's Hill and bring you over on my wings. Her letters dealt with family, friends, and the doings of the farm, as well as her meditations on the times in which they lived. According to Robert McHenry, they provide a sprightly and fascinating view of life in those trying times. Abigail Adams was every inch the patriot, like her husband. Central to that fervor was her Christian faith. Only righteousness, she maintained, could exalt a nation. Her faith also prepared her to make the greatest sacrifice if necessary. She wrote, If the sword be drawn, 
I bid adieu to all domestic felicity and look forward to the country where there is neither wars nor rumors of war in a firm belief that through the mercy of its king we shall both rejoice there together. The only certainty in life she constantly told her children was God. Their commitment to him must come before all other things. She wrote to them, Improve your understanding for acquiring useful knowledge and virtue, such as will render you an ornament to society, an honor to your country, and a blessing to your parents. Great learning and superior abilities, should you ever possess them, will be of little value and small estimation unless virtue, honor, truth, and integrity are added to them. Abigail was blissfully reunited with her husband in Paris in 1784. One thing she did not find to her liking, however, was France's festival atmosphere on Sundays. She also complained when the American government wouldn't allow its embassy to have chaplains. Abigail openly wondered whether America's political ministers weren't in need of grace. During that time, she worshipped at the Dutch ambassador's chapel. The following year, John Adams became the United States' first minister to Great Britain, and Abigail accompanied him to London. Upon their return to the United States, Adams pursued a political career with Abigail's enthusiastic support. Largely due to her unselfishness, America did not lose the formidable talents of one of its most auspicious founding fathers. The couple resided in the country's first capitals, New York, Philadelphia, and Washington, when John became vice president under George Washington and later president. Abigail Adams became the first presidential wife to live in the White House, which remained unfinished during her husband's term. She hosted many official dinners, which guests found stimulating, largely due to her lively conversation. President Adams depended on his wife to read and comment on his speeches, as well as to discuss events and policies with him. She was his sounding board, the one person he most trusted. Abigail also had a way of making sure that newspaper editors received good news about him to print. Mrs. Adams had strong views about the role of women in public life. She believed that women should be better educated and have more legal autonomy, but maintained that domestic life was best for them. A good wife and mother, she felt, could serve her country in those capacities. In the election of 1800, she judged the candidates running against her husband on the basis of their religious beliefs. For example, she considered Thomas Jefferson, whom she greatly admired, to be barely Christian because he didn't believe in a God active in the world's affairs. On the other hand, she felt that despite vice presidential candidate Aaron Burr's orthodox beliefs, he had more to answer to God for because of his arrogance and hot temper. 
Following John Adams' defeat by Thomas Jefferson, the Adamses retired to their home in Braintree, Massachusetts. They became gentlemen farmers, finally enjoying the togetherness for which they had longed. Abigail Adams' health began to deteriorate around the time of their daughter Nabby's death in 1814. Nevertheless, she retained a cheerful outlook, sustained by her faith and the belief that the laughing philosopher is a much wiser man than the sniveling one. She contracted typhoid fever in October 1818 and died on the 18th, a few weeks before her 74th birthday. The first volume of her letters appeared in print in 1840, published by her grandson, Charles Francis Adams. Someone asked Abigail in her twilight years if she regretted all the separations between her and her dearest friend. She responded, I feel a pleasure in being able to sacrifice my selfish passions to the general good and in imitating the example which has taught me to consider myself and family but as the small dust of the balance when compared with the great community. John Milton's famous words could have been written with her in mind. They also serve who stand and wait. Thank you for joining me for Great Stories in American History. I'm Rebecca Price Janney.